Man, go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given to us. It's all from him. It's all for him. If you're here for the first, second, or third time at Mountain View Sunnyside and you've got that card that says uh, Connect card on it, uh, don't, don't worry about getting that in the basket before it hits you. As you head out today, there will be some really nice people on your left. Drop that off there. Uh, we've got a gift for you because you matter to us and you made this place matter to you this morning. And so we just want to say thank you in a good tasting way. Uh, so today uh, we are concluding a series that Main Campus has been on all summer. We've been doing our own thing as we look toward the building and taking an offering for that back on the 22nd. Uh, and what it all is, is asking questions, questions that God asks in the Bible, either through God the Father or through Jesus, who is God with skin on, questions that Jesus and God ask people as a way of exposing kind of what's in their heart, what's driving our answers. And the, the way that we answer these really gives us a picture of, of where we're coming from, where we're going in life. So last week we asked the question, uh, what worth is it to you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul in the process? We looked at the cost of discipleship and what it looks like for all of us to actually decide, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus with our lives and how that has implications throughout everything else. And today we're asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? It's a question that, that God asks King Solomon uh, in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, you can go there now. Uh, and it's a question that God asks of us uh, because it's good for us to know what's going on. It's good for us to know what's in our heart, and it's also good to know how God wants to respond and wants to interject and wants to, to influence and, and inform what's going on in our heart. So the way that we're going to respond today is something different than we usually do. We do it a couple times each year. Uh, but at the end, we're going to have our pressures up front again because we want to listen to the Lord and ask God, what does he want to say to each and every one of us specifically? We call these prophecy appointments in the New Testament. They talk about prophecy as a word uh, spoken in English to Christians and to people that God loves uh, about how God wants to talk to each of us uniquely and individually. This is meant to build us up. It's not like if you come up, somebody's going to read your mail and say, like, God knows everything that happened yesterday. You should feel bad. Uh, this is a word of encouragement uh, for us as Christians, something to build us up. And so that's how we're going to end. Uh, but from there... And we want to get to that point because it's good for us to know what's going on. Before this, I was the student ministries pastor at Main Campus. So for 13 years, I worked with high schoolers and junior hires there, and I absolutely loved it. And when I was still in junior high, I learned that relationships in high school and junior high are a very temporary thing. Like you could be dating one day, not knowing each other the day before, and then that relationship is dead and buried the next day, all in a three-year span. And so when I was in eighth grade, I remember I had two friends who dated Corey and John, uh, and I remember asking Corey one day, and they'd been going out for a really, really long time, like four days. And so I said, hey, how is it going with John? And I saw her eyes begin to fill up with water. And I learned that day, never, ever ask that question unless you are 100% sure that the relationship is still intact. And then I quickly forgot that lesson. Uh, so during my 13 years at main campus uh, running student ministries, I would ask people often, hey, how's your relationship going right after their relationship ended? So I continued to walk into the steamroller of emotion and tears and rolling eyes and walking away. And that was just the guys. So I had good people around me who recognized this is a problem. We need to do something about this because Ken's not fixing it. Uh, the girl who's playing keys and the guy who's playing drums today, Spencer and Annalise, uh, they, they volunteered with us and still volunteer in student ministries there, which if you're in junior high, it meets Tuesdays at 7, and high school meets Wednesdays at 7 at main campus, which is Ashland and Fowler. It looks like a huge, ginormous tent uh, until you get inside and you realize it looks like a huge, ginormous tent. 
But they developed a plan that anytime anything happened on somebody's Insta story or Snapchat or whatever, they were going to let me know. As in, don't ask this person about their relationship. And so this worked really well. Like when people would break up, they'd send me a text. Hey, don't ask so-and-so about whatever. So it's like, good. We'll talk about everything else other than that. And so, like, they knew they were my people. One day, I get a text from Annalise. They're engaged right now. They're going to get married in two months. They've been together for five years. I found that out first service. And you know how on texts it shows like the first 40 characters and then you have to open the message to see what else is going on? So I get a text from Annalise and it says, I just want to let you know that Spencer and I dot, dot, dot. Like, no! <laughs> no! And so I open the messages that will be late this week. I'm like, okay, this is good. This changes everything. It's good to know what's going on. Good to know you guys are still together? Still together. That's good because I'm doing your wedding in two months. That would be good. But we want to know what's going on. We want to know what's going on in dating relationships as you ask people, how's it going? And completely step into that like I often have. We also want to know how God feels about us today. That's a message that is consistently and always going to be about love and about how God wants more and more of our lives, not just because we need to measure up, but because God wants to get involved because he's a father who loves to give good gifts, which we'll get into in a little bit. But it's also... Uh, something that, that we want to experience to create hunger in us and create more and more of a desire for God. And so we get to see this in Second Chronicles. A little bit of a backstory. We're going to look at the life of a guy named Solomon. Solomon is the third king of the nation of Israel before a civil war split the two and both sides just like went down the tubes quickly. But Solomon was the third king. The first king was Saul who started out meh and ended really badly. David started out really well and ended fairly well and in the meantime was a roller coaster. Uh, and then Solomon starts out really, really well. Solomon is David's son so he grew up with things being really good. He's kind of born uh, from a ruler and spiritual perspective. He's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And so Solomon begins really, really well. And so since we're looking at chapter one, we're probably still in the good part of Solomon's life. And it says very early in 2 Chronicles chapter one, verse one, it says, Solomon, son of David, took firm control of his kingdom for the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. That's where he begins. He begins great. And part of his greatness was that Solomon was taking his whole country and pushing his whole country toward Jesus. It just wasn't something, or towards God. It wasn't something that he was just going to do on his own, let everybody else do their own thing. As a ruler, he's using his authority, he's using his influence to say, together as a country, we are going to follow Jesus. And so he sets up a worship service, and he's supposed to sacrifice one animal uh, to, to remember God's forgiveness for his sin and to actually experience God's forgiveness of his sin through the sacrifice. But instead of one, he does 1,000 because his heart just overflows with gratitude for God. And then that night, the night of the thousand sacrifices, God speaks to Solomon. Second Chronicles 1, 7. And God appears to Solomon and he says, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. What do you want? Like, that's such a huge, open-ended question from God. What do you want? And I think there are two wrong ways that we look at it, and I want to hit those right at the beginning before we move into the good things. The first one is that as we think that God is just going to be like our big cosmic vending machine where we look to him and we're like, I want a new pair of shoes today. And we type in the code and hit it, and boom, God's just supposed to do what we want because we typed in the right code and we put in our dollar that was flat enough that it would go through correctly this time instead of spitting it back out at us. No, that's not how God works because our wants and desires aren't going to manipulate what he wants to do. 
That does not mean that when we are in need that God is not going to respond. But God's going to respond in the way that's going to be best for us and best for him. God knows the long view of history. He knows the things that we've asked for in life where God looks at us and says, that's a really bad idea. I'm going to say no now. He knows exactly what those are. And also, in the opposite extreme, he knows that we are dearly loved children of God. And so instead of looking at him as a cosmic vending machine where you can just type in a code and get whatever you want, he knows that we mean more to him than our worst mistake. And so we look at this question of Solomon as, or God asking Solomon, what do you want me to do? And he knows, God knows, that when we ask something, God's going to hear and God's going to respond. All this comes down to the fact that God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. I've got three kids, uh, 10, 8, and 4, and I love to give them gifts because it's a way to, to bless them, way to do something nice for them. They ask things all the time. Sometimes the answer has to be no, sometimes it's yes. But birthdays are great because you get to give them gifts. So Eden... Uh, this was a long time ago. She was born on leap day, so she's had two birthdays her whole life. Every other time she gets to borrow somebody else's day. Uh, I think she was three, so this wasn't even a real birthday uh, calendar-wise, but we celebrate it as a real birthday, and she thinks it's a real birthday. She's excited that she gets two birthdays on the calendar, uh, but I wanted her to learn about baseball. Okay, she's a girl, and, and I think that even within that, like, I want her to learn about baseball. Love it. It's the only sport you can play during the, during the summer in Fresno uh, because you had, do not have to be in shape to play baseball. All right? Look at the pictures of major leaguers. You can Google Bartolo Colon. That dude is a great pitcher. That dude is nowhere near in shape, uh, and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. So with baseball, with Fresno, I think like she needs to learn how to do these things. Uh, and so I, we buy her like a bat and a ball and a tee at the 99 cent store or something uh, because it actually lasted for a really, really long time through all, many summers and then totally disintegrated into nothing last year. Uh, but we wrapped it up and we gave it to her. And so little three-year-old Eden, uh, she's unwrapping her present on her not real birthday and she gets it. She opens it all up and there it is. It's a baseball set. And she looks at the present and all families all around and everything. She looks at the present. She looks at me looks at the present, picks it up and walks it over and says, Dad, this is for you. I'm like, no, no, no. No, you're going to like this. You're going to enjoy it and we're going to play. And she actually likes it and she loves baseball and she worked on the softball team at school and all that stuff. But that day, she's like, Dad, th this is not a good gift. This is, this is for you. This is not for me. I like dolls and stuff. And here's your baseball set back. That doesn't change the fact that I love to give good gifts. And God is similar in that way. God loves to give us good gifts. And the fact that God is talking to Solomon in this instant shows the radical mercy of God. All right, Eden is, Eden is my 10-year-old daughter. Ellie is my 8-year-old daughter. I've got two daughters. And as a dad of two daughters, I look at the story of Solomon and my blood begins to boil. Because as Solomon went through his life, he began to get farther and farther away from God. And this became totally evident in the way that Solomon would treat women. 1 Kings 11.4, it says this, In Solomon's old age, so he's very far away from God, women turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord God his, as his father David had been. That he began to give his heart and give his body to people, to women who were far from Jesus, far from God. 
and that led everything about him away from God, eventually led his country away from God because he was being flat out disgusting with his sexuality. It says at one point that he had 700 different wives and 300 women who would just kind of come through his house as concubines. I look at that as a dad, and I'm really, really thankful that every alley in Jerusalem in those days was dark, all right? They had no electricity. So if I could find this guy in any alley, it would be a dark alley, and I better get used to wearing orange because of the things that I would do to this guy if I had an aluminum baseball bat, which hadn't been invented yet, conveniently. But I I see this as a dad of daughters, and I think, God, why would you talk to this guy? Why would you give this guy anything good? I think the answer is in Jesus. Because God looks at every single one of us, and instead of seeing our sin that separates us from Jesus, when we become Christians, what God does is he sees Jesus' perfection in our place. That's the good news of who Jesus is. A guy named Paul explains it really, really well. And that God made Jesus, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Jesus. Right with God. So that we could be made right with God. God looks at you and me today and with eyes of mercy, with a heart of mercy, not because of the horrible things that we have done, but because of the great things that Jesus has done. We look at God's desire as a good father to give Solomon a gift of just asking him a question, what do you want me to do for you? And it's not coming from a place of Solomon deserving it. It's coming from a place of God lovingly pouring out his grace over somebody's life who does not deserve it. And the real news about all of this is that apart from the grace of Jesus, apart from what Jesus has done on our behalf to take all of our sin, all of our shortcomings, every horrible thing that we've done in our lives and replace them not just to bring us back to normal, but replace them with God's righteousness, with God's perfection, not just extended to Jesus, but extended through Jesus to you and me, that apart from that, that we stand in the place of Solomon. We stand in the place of standing before God and having nothing good to show for our lives because of the sin that we have committed that separates all of us, me included, from the grace of Jesus, from the love of Jesus. God looks at us, not in seeing the horrible things that we've done, but in seeing the perfect life that Jesus lived on our behalf. That's what God sees when he looks at you and me. And the point where we look at that and think, like, this is uncomfortable because of how good God is, that's exactly where God set it up to be. It's the point where where that grace, that acceptance, that mercy is poured out even over the worst of sinners to the point where we think that's too much. And God said, no, 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 too much is exactly where we're going to live. Jesus didn't get in trouble because he hung out with the religious people and he acted religious. Jesus got in trouble because he brought the love of God to people who were far from God to the point that it made religious people uncomfortable. I look at that, I look at my life, and I say, okay, God, where am I Where am I executing judgment? Where am I living a life of judgment where you would live a life of grace and mercy and forgiveness and invitation into life? And even in the areas of our lives where we say, you know what, God, God can't do that. God doesn't understand that, that I've got these issues. And God says, I want you to believe me that when I say forgiven, I mean forgiven. When I say that God made Jesus who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Jesus. That, that's exactly what he means. God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. One of those gifts is asking us, what do you want me to do in your life? I think when we come with shame, that means that, 
that God would never do anything like that for me because of X, Y, Z. Our eyes aren't on Jesus in those moments. Our eyes are on ourselves because we want to quickly repeat every horrible thing that we have ever done and what we do, what we experience, what we should be hearing from God when we do this. And this is me, okay? If you want like a window into my soul, this is where I fit. I can't do this because, well, God doesn't work in my life this way. God says, you're wrong. God says, I love you. God says, forgiven means forgiven. God says that new creation means new creation. God says that your old life is your old life. Your new life is your new life. That's where you start with me. You don't deserve better. You don't deserve love. You, you come into this completely undeserving. And what God does is he takes our old and replaces it with his new. Not new and improved you, but God living through us. He says, I want to take that the areas where you feel like you don't measure up and then replace that with a greater hunger for me, a greater love for me. And so God talks to horrible person Solomon. He says, what do you want me to do? And Solomon replies to God. He says, you've shown, you've showed faithful love to, my, to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. Oh Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and the knowledge to lead them properly, for who could possibly govern this great people of yours? Man, what we ask for and what Solomon asks for here and what we don't ask for shows what's going on in our heart. All right, God asks, but God gives Solomon a blank check, says, what do you want? And Solomon doesn't say, I want to be famous, I want to be rich, I want the death of my enemies. He says, I need wisdom. He's asking something in humility. He's king, he owns everything, and instead of saying, I want more, he says, I need wisdom. I cannot do this. I need wisdom from you. I think the great part here is that, that Solomon asks for something that he can handle. He's not asking for something at this point that's going to totally ruin his life. I love that. that it's dark to say that. I love that. But you look at stats of people who've won the lottery. And so often, just months after they win or maybe a couple years after they win, they're broke and they're depressed. Because money won't buy our happiness. We ask for something that our souls can't handle. And sometimes we're going to get it. And we're going to find out that our souls can't handle it. When Jesus was on earth and he would heal people, often what he would say to people is, don't, don't tell anybody about this. Because he knew that fame was going to hinder his mission of going to the cross. And he knows that's true for us also. That sometimes riches and sometimes fame and sometimes the life that we've always thought that we wanted isn't actually going to lead us closer to Jesus. But instead what God's going to do is he's going to walk us through the life that's going to expose our need for Jesus, our dependence on the Holy Spirit. And what we ask for shows what's going on in our heart. That doesn't mean that if you fail the test the first time that God writes us off for forever. It is a daily opportunity for us to bring back the things that have gone sour in our hearts to the life that Jesus has for us. And to continuously throw ourselves on the mercy, forgiveness, and regeneration from God. To daily wake up and ask for a fresh and a new way. God, this is what I want you to do in my heart. Show me what's going on in my heart so that I can respond to you in holiness. Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do? And it's an opportunity for us to live dead. It's an opportunity for us to say, okay, God, I want to live for you as if I've died to myself. I want to live for you in new ways. God, teach me what that even means if I can't even think about what it would look like for me to live dead in every single way. Give me an idea of what you're, what you're asking me. 
And when we ask focused on God's glory and our need for wisdom, we can handle the blessings that come. We're asking God to make himself great through us. That means that we can handle anything that's coming. And so Solomon asks for something that's going to give glory to God, and he asks in humility, which draws God close to us because pride repels God. And God says to Solomon, because because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you didn't ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies, or a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge that you've requested. But I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king has ever had before you or will ever have in the future. Solomon asks in humility, and God being a good God who looks at him with love today, gives him an an amazing gift. Man, church, that's one of the great blessings about us being followers of Jesus. And if you're not here today, or if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. You can ask any question you want ever about what this means to follow Jesus. And we're also going to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus today. But what this means is we worship a God who loves to give us good gifts because he's a perfect father and he knows what we need. And with our eyes on eternity, we want to ask the question, what do we want God to do for us today? Today we're giving God the chance to, to, to respond to us saying, okay, God, this is what I want you to do. And we're going to do that in the form of prophecy appointments like I mentioned. Okay, in a bit the worship team is going to come up. They're going to start playing. And as soon as there's sound coming from here, enough to drown out kind of what's being said, I want us to say, okay, God, this is, this is what I want. This is something I need for you to do in my life. And let's just admit, we can be over the thing of, oh, well, it's selfish to ask what God wants. No, Jesus asks people all the time, well, what do you want me to do? God asks, God asks Solomon right here, what do you want? We're going to respond to that today because we know that God is a good God who will give us good gifts. And so we're going to pray out, God, this is, what, this is what I want. It could be something with work. It could be something with your family. It could be something with kids. It could be something with your situation right now. Whatever it is in life. God says, what do you want? It's an open invitation into relationship. He looks at you today and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And so we ask it. And then we're gonna have our prayer ushers here because we wanna, we believe that God has responses for each person who's gonna say, God, this is what I want. And so how that's gonna work is our people will be up here. You come up and you just stand here. We're gonna pray for you. We're going to ask God to speak through us what he wants to say to you today. And like I said before, it's not going to be bad news. Because prophecy is meant to be a word that builds up. And bad news doesn't build up. We want to be conduits of God's blessing through us to his church here at Mountain View Sunnyside today. So what do you want God to do for you? God who looks at you with mercy. God who looks at you with an invitation to relationship. God who sees you from his place of power and authority to remove any obstacle from our life that we ask. He wants to know what you want, what we want him to do for us today. Let's stand and pray and the worship team will come up. Father God, I thank you that you are a perfect God. I thank you that you're our savior. I thank you that that's not half salvation, God. That's full salvation. I thank you that you do not have an impossible list for us. You don't have a list of things where you look at us and you say, oh, I'm not going to do that. They'll never do that. They'll never be able to such and such. But God, your power 
is huge for us every day. Your love for us is huge. Your desire to work in our lives is huge. And so God, today, we come to you as your children. You're a good God who loves to give good gifts to your children. And we're gonna experience that today.